0: We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down.
1: Yeah, Digitex does that.
0: D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 10. Yeah! 1234 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stopper with you on Oilers Now, where guests receive guest certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie, the staff that Oilers Now sent you. The happiest guy that the Boston Bruins swept the Carolina Hurricanes was Craig Simpson because it enabled him to spend some uh, valuable time with his family over the course of the last few days. Uh, We welcome uh, lead analyst for Hockey Night in Canada, Craig Simpson, back to the show. Hi, Craig. How are you doing?
1: Uh, Yeah, you're right. I'm doing great. After uh, just over a month on the road without being home, it feels uh, good, but really odd to be here for pretty much a week. So it's quite
0: nice. Uh, let me ask you, uh, first of all, were you surprised uh, that Boston vanquished Carolina as quickly as they did? Uh,
1: maybe as quickly. I, I wasn't expecting four, uh, a 4 nothing sweep, but I, I thought they were a better team. They showed better depth. Uh, their balanced scoring really got them. I, I think the telltale sign was after game two, Rod Brindamore said, you know, the the thing that concerns me most is that it's not even the top line that's beating us at that point. You know, it was the coil line. It was the fourth line. So if you're trying to game plan what's gone wrong with your team and how to get back in the series, you know, I think Rod was pretty sure that the top line would get going at some point. So, uh, I, I think it was indicative of the, the strength of the Bruins right now is their depth and, uh, uh, so, in that in that response, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised that they were able to take care of them.
0: Does it just reinforce uh, what Boston's done this year, what kind of leadership abilities Zidane Char and Patrice Bergeron have? Because there's a culture there that has yep. allowed them to be as competitive as they've been the last several years.
1: Yeah, and there's a calmness and an understanding of expectation and togetherness. And, you know, I've always... I think said that you ask any player that's been a part of a stanley cup winning team and they rarely talk about you know individual Uh, it's not a it's not a one guy you know there's always individuals that have exceptional playoffs but the greatest thing about being a part of a stanley cup winning team is the feeling of how everybody just uh, has a part in it and you can see it in the two teams that are here Uh, you know the last games for st louis a fourth line that's scoring big goals Uh, you know chipping in from all different uh, players in your lineup all the way down your lineup great goaltending great defensive plays. so i think that's always the most special for me uh is seeing a team like boston uh, the way i've done all 17 of their games and I, i go back to probably game six in toronto when they're down uh, three games to two and facing elimination i i just think you do see that leadership quality of guys who are are, are calm and confident and you it, it's a really powerful thing as a teammate you know not everybody can be the best player on the team or the leader on the team but everybody can really gravitate to those types of leaders and you know, like a I always look at it like a son wanting to make your dad and your mom happy. Uh you know, I think you get that in good teams where the younger players come up and have so much respect and regard that their level of play and their confidence grows with every single playoff game and then playoff round of understanding what's expected of them and really gravitating to wanting. It's not just to make them happy, but to be a part of it. And I think you see a great example of that in, in both these teams, actually.
0: Well, we're joined by Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Bob Stoffer with you in orders. Now, you brought up uh, that opening round series against Toronto. Um, Leafs were close, weren't they? I mean, when you sit oh, yeah, here and yeah. look at how this is, and I realize that maybe, hey, Washington was close. I mean, they lost in seven and double yep. overtime to Carolina, yep. but that, Mar- you know, that suspension to Kadri, yep, and other, like they could have easily have. It could have been Toronto playing in the Stanley Cup final right now.
1: Well, it, it's it's definitely one that you you look at your window, and we keep talking with all these teams, you know, the yep. window of opportunity, and. For Toronto, it was a very different one than, say, Boston. Boston is part age, you know, of your top guys, and how long can they stay? Part of it is salary, although it was a good note, and we noted uh, that four teams that were left in, left in the Eastern Conference Final and Western Conference Final, uh, the top paid guy was $8.5 you know, it it was uh, an example of teams that weren't top he- heavy on their salaries. And Toronto's not in that situation. So their window is really tight for different reasons. And I thought it was just a, a huge missed opportunity when you have home ice for the first elimination game and you can't come through with it. And you got a point to Kadri. You know, he, the team played well without him and they had good depth without him but I don't know how you live with yourself for two straight years as a player where you've sat and watched the last uh, three games where your team's been eliminated.
0: We're joined right now by Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. He's going to be working the Stanley Cup Final uh, with Boston, the St. Louis Blues. What a story this year with St. Louis, Craig.
1: It is. You know, I I listened to you earlier and saying, okay, January 1st, they were last place in the league. Doesn't it tell you a lot about the league, though, that I looked doing the looking at their records. They're one game under 500, and so it wasn't like this was a team ten games uh, under 500, really, you know, scuffling away. Uh, I, I think that it was interesting during that first 37 games. To that point, uh, they had only lost, uh, or they had not lost three games in a row at that point, and so. You know, they weren't a team that was just going on a old for eight uh, stint and losing all the time. They just couldn't get wins together. They couldn't put it together. So the fact that last place in the league on January 1st is only technically one game under 500 tells you a lot about this whole league. And I think, don't you find that this year's playoffs exemplify that more than ever with with everybody beating everybody who you wouldn't have expected to necessarily win?
0: Craig, I'm going to read you a tweet that I got absolutely uh, ripped for when I put it out on January 2nd. Okay. January yeah. 2nd, 1991, the reigning, you were on this team, the reigning Stanley Cup champion Edmonton Oilers lost 3-0 to Montreal to drop to 18-18-2 at that stage. Yeah. You recall how many rounds you guys went, 91-92?
1: Yeah, I know. We got uh, a disappointing ending in the Western Conference final uh uh, but you know, it's sorry, that was that,
0: ninety. That was ninety ninety one. Well,
1: both years, it yeah, was the same way. It yeah. was it was Minnesota in ninety ninety one because you know I was looking forward to getting an opportunity to play the my ex team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, in the final, and Minnesota went on one of those kind of magical runs as well, kind of like what we did in two thousand and six yeah. as a group. Uh, but that year was one that Mark Messier got uh, injured. Uh, fifth game of the year and uh, or actually yeah about the fifth or sixth anyways we won the first game without mess i think we won easily and we were all going oh we'll be fine and we were 2-2 two, two, and 2 at that point and we lost nine straight games after that and and i do remember that it was it wasn't until january and you did you say we were 18-18 and something you were
0: 18-18 and 2 at that stage yeah. you so I, I remember
1: i remember as a group it was like the wheels almost fell off with mess gone for that time. And then we spent all the way until January sort of recouping those nine games that we went, you know, two eleven and two is a hard recovery early in the season. Yeah. And, but I felt we were an experienced team and we were a ready team. And that's, I know the parallel you're drawing with St. Louis is, look at the lineup the the lineup has enough in there to yes to say that you know we're a good team guys we've got tarasenko who's a five-time 30 goal scorer you got depth in your lineup and suddenly i was just looking back jordan bennington you know another great story not a young guy a guy who's played in the minors but got his first uh call up on the 16th of december came in relief twice uh before the end of December and then got his first start January 7th at Philadelphia yes. and got a shutout. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're a team that has turned it around. Craig Berube is a good voice for that kind of group that is an experienced and mix of experienced and guys trying to find their legs in the in the league. And now you got a goaltender who's shutting the door every night and it's a pretty powerful story, isn't it? How how well they played down the stretch. They had one um, you know, nine game winning streak that basically got them the distance they needed to be a playoff team, and, and that they've ridden that through. Well,
0: uh, 18, 18, and 2, January 2nd, 1991. I believe the Sharks were 17, 18, and 3 uh, on January 1st. The orders, by the way, were at 18, 18, and 3 at that stage, and people ripped me for the comparables saying, it can happen to a team. And I just, it was St. Yep. Louis that did it. And you know what? The Oilers traded down their team. I mean, they fired their coach. They they traded Strome. They traded Cajula, which weakened their forward depth. And the defensive additions they made weren't impactful enough to to ride out. It, its I think this year it shows that had Edmonton been able to stay in the race, who knows? And the other thing is, oh, have, for sure. would you agree for with sure. that? Like, had they been able, a- anything could have happened once they got to the playoffs.
1: So that again exemplifies the you know the importance of of goaltending and you know there's there's various factors from the st louis side of you know bennington not a young kid a 28 year old trying to find his, an opportunity to play in, regularly in nhl and boom there was the opportunity a struggling team looking for an answer and he walked in as a mature guy and did his part in that and so that is really the lesson too. Is you need to have guys that are maybe a little unsuspecting, but more importantly, uh, you have to again have that push of guys within your organization that when they do get the chance. And I've said to you many times, and I think uh, it was last week or the week before, talking about you know Bruce Cassidy in Boston allowing some of the American League guys to take real ownership and and you know get opportunity to play. But it also is an onus on the guys to realize when your chance comes, that's when you got to be ready to to take advantage of it. And, Bob, I've I've said it once I've said it a million times, it's not always about scoring goals. And that's what a lot of young guys don't understand when they come in and they get their chance. It's about the way you play. And, again, going back to Boston this year, if you want an example of that, just watch the Bruins and watch their – third and fourth line even second line you know the top line is going to do play the way that they want they're going to have hot streaks and they're going to have amazing hot streaks and get cold for small periods of time but it's the other guys understanding that it's not about going in and being a great offensive player it's the coach now has real trust in you and playing with you because you're playing a certain way and on the back end in boston it's connor clifton who was playing nine, ten minutes until you had some injury problems, yep. you get your opportunity, and you show you know how to play. It's not about going in and being a great offensive defenseman. It's it's showing the, that you've learned how this team plays and how you need to play to be successful. And I, I, ha- I haven't seen enough of that in this organization at all. That, that's that been a real darth of problems for them during this stretch of finding someone to come in. And it's the ongoing discussion always about Jesse pauly or, you know, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. And you can always argue, well, they weren't ready or not ready. But uh, I, I would say that they're pro players that aren't 18-, 19-year-old kids now. And if you've had your time in the American League, that's, it's just about... Not the production. We could be sitting here talking glowingly about Yessi Poliarvi with still the same amount of goals if if he was a good, rounded player. And and I think that's what gets lost on a lot of these young players. And I think that's what's really important about the coaching staff, the managing staff right. within these teams.
0: And that's where we're going to go next. Uh, the New York Islanders were the worst defensive team in the NHL yeah. last year. Under, yeah. Doug, under Doug Waite, they brought in Barry Trotz, uh, they brought in Mitch Corn. Uh, they resuscitated the career of uh, Robin Lehner. Uh, they had Thomas Grice there. The Oilers have got to cut down the goals against. Dave Tippett has a history of been able to do that wherever he's been. Yeah. And uh, we assume he's the front runner for the position. So we can sit here and I personally think the Oilers just got to let her roll on defense and sort of grow organically and make some organic changes to their defense. They don't need to make a blockbuster deal for defensemen. Uh, forwards i think you, you you gotta you gotta work and grind craig to to get a couple cheap guys in here maybe after july 5th 6th 7th but goaltending and cutting goals against down are critical so does that reinforce the importance of the coaching hire and then which other goaltender ken holland brings in here yeah i well
1: i think without question the coaching hire and i We've talked about this, I think, every week <laughs> since uh, uh, in eternity uh, about just having somebody in here who can teach and commit these guys to learning how you have to play to be a good, solid playoff team. And as I said, the teams that are in the playoffs, just watch how they play, and it's a, it's a great example of it. So I said last week, too, uh, the, the value of a, a GM like Ken is his relationship with the other 30 GMs and the history. And, you know, you're not, you don't have a GM that another team is trying to take advantage of or fleece or, you know, maybe get into conversations to try to pry a bad deal out of you. It doesn't necessarily mean that Ken's never made a bad deal because he'll admit he has. I think more importantly though, you've got some significant problems that you have to address. And I think you got a better opportunity with a guy who's well-versed with history with some other GMs. You know, uh, you owe me a bit of a favor. Let's do this deal. I'll make it okay for you. But, you know, I think you're more apt to be able to find a deal that gets you out of some of the cap problems, which opens up your opportunity to make some either trade or free agent uh, acquisitions to make your team better quicker.
0: What would you do with Milan Lucic? Uh,
1: I think I said last week, you know, I, I think, ideally you'd like to deal with it in the off season so it's gone and it's done and you know where you are you know where you are from a cap perspective you know where you are from a personnel perspective uh i I, my guess is that you know you're at the brink of there's no return uh but you know me we've been wrong on that before there's been reclamation projects that have worked Uh, I think the reality, Bob, is you're probably going to have to go to Milan and say, you know, if if you want to be an everyday good hockey player in this league, you might have to show at the start of the season that you're ready to go and ready to play and have some success in order to, uh, you know, convince somebody else in another team that uh, to make a deal I, I'd, I'd be surprised if you'd be able to deal with it in the off season and make it go away uh, I think you're probably more realistic that he's going to have to come in and show that he's ready and he's committed and that he can still play in this league.
0: Alright, the orders have Caleb Jones, William Lagunson uh, Ethan Bear that spent the entire year percolating in the minors uh, Bouchard finished the year down there, played pretty well uh, you know, in the playoffs, once he went down there, had a terrific playoff for London. Sam Marukoff, another defense prospect, uh, both Bouchard and Sam Marukoff, You know, maybe not ready for NHL prime time yet. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with Andre Sekra?
1: Well, I mean, Sekra is a, a valuable piece. He's shown that he can be a, a good stopgap guy, a good second, third D pair. Um, again, you're dealing with with financial issues, though. He's yep. too expensive for what he brings. Um, in an ideal situation, if you know he's probably going to have to be a stopgap guy because you don't want to rush those other guys in in a position when they're not ready, and that's something that I, I know has been going on for a long time. But in when you get better and those guys get closer, you got to turn him into some free cap space as well. Uh, you know, I I don't mind him as a player, and I think he's shown he. He can do the job and he seems to be a good teammate and uh, you know does a lot of the right things but ideally it's it's more of what is he five five and a half he's five or, and a half two more years yeah. left yeah and and that that just can't be for that uh kind of number for that kind of player and so i think you're there's another example where he's a serviceable guy um but here he's just too much money because wouldn't you like to take that five five and a half and either turn it into two you know good second year contract uh, mobile defenseman who can play or a winger who can come in or yeah. couple that with another lucic money that you might be able to get at least some of it away for for a higher end player so i think ideally it you know those are the tough decisions that fans look and say "Well, we make this deal make that deal well it just doesn't happen that way because of the cap situation and andre if he was a 2 and a half to $3 million player, you'd be saying uh, for the next two years, he'll be a good stopgap for us, right, to give some stability and play a certain way. But I don't think you can get better on the back end with that number for the kind of play that he uh, brings to the ice. All right,
0: we're going to have a little bit of fun. This is going to be a good summer for you, isn't it? Because uh, is Dylan getting married the week before Keegan Lowe gets married? Or... The, the week after. The week uh, after. Uh, yeah. So Saturday. Keegan's... In BC and then Saturday here in Edmonton. So back to back, uh, Sons of Oilers, uh, uh, Stanley Cup champions. Uh, so you're going to be shelling out a bit for that, I guess. They are, are, yeah, it'll be a, it's a busy summer. Yeah. It's a busy summer. Okay, I'm going to put you on a spot here. So that's going to be fun. That's the gravy part of the summer. That's going to be terrific. a couple of terrific events there for you. Here, I, we're not going to have you on before uh, the start of the Stanley Cup Final. Who are you taking? I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really competitive final.
1: Uh, St. Louis has impressed me more, and even when they had the opportunity to to finish San Jose off, they didn't mess around. When you win five one and five yeah. nothing their last two, you know that's a that's a pretty big exclamation point on a team that's feeling good. But I, I I'm going to go with Boston. I, you know, maybe it's because I've been doing all their games and really get to see the the intricacies in the game, the way they play. I think Rask is, you know, I hope this layoff doesn't slow him down because I've never seen him play better. So I think you're looking at six or seven again, Bob, but if I have to pick one, I'll pick Boston. All
0: right, I missed the obvious question here. Uh, How hard is it when you uh, sweep and you got time off to jump start? Because I'm I'm thinking maybe round two, round two, 1990 against L.A., right? You swept them in four straight.
1: Yeah, we've had lots of time, you know, in between. And you go back to '88; we only lost two games the whole playoffs. Right? <laughs> we, we went. You guys
0: weren't that two. good that year, by the way.
1: <laughs> we went sixteen and two, so we had nothing but time off. So, you know, I, I, that's why I don't think it's going to hurt uh, uh, Boston. I, I think it helps St. Louis that they won when they did, so they don't have to do a Game Seven. They get a little bit of a reprieve and I I just think it helps them a little bit because they are feeling good about themselves and on a roll, and they don't have as much you know, Stanley Cup-type experience at their core. So uh, I think it helps a bit. But at this stage, I don't think it's going to hurt Boston. I I think it's going to allow some guys banged up uh, to get an opportunity to really rev up and have a great series.
0: Craig, look forward to hooking up with you next Wednesday uh, prior to Game 2. All
1: right, sounds
0: good. Take care. That's Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. It's 1255 in Edmonton. We'll throw to break. Up next, the Global News Weather Traffic Update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back in Oilers Now, John Shannon from NHL Hockey and Rogers.
1: Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.